podcast is brought to you by HCN, your source for the latest news in gaming, movies, and entertainment. Enjoy the show. Welcome back, funky listeners, to Funk Radio, your favorite podcast for all your favorite funky hits. This is your host, Peter. And this is your host, Kyle. Um, since we're doing a special episode today, we have a special guest on. Um, this is my father, Hello. Robert Storms. Hello. Um, yeah, we, we just decided to bring him on because he's our special funky envoy um, for this episode. Because we thought it'd be fun to talk about parents, part two. Father, the Father's Return. Um, yeah, uh, a few weeks ago, we had an episode on songs focused on mothers uh, to celebrate Mother's Day, and now we're uh, just about up to Father's Day here, so we're going to do that. Can we call this episode, uh, episode two, Father Boogaloo? <laughs> sure. Um, so yeah, as Peter was saying, we're this is, I guess, a part two of our parental episodes, because Father's Day is next weekend. And we're going to be probably a little bit more predisposed than normal. Um, so we went ahead and found a bunch of uh, soul songs referring to fathers, either uh, as, in, uh, as the inspiration for the song, talking about particular fathers, or songs written by fathers for their children or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and we found actually there was a surprisingly large amount, especially with the word papa. Uh, <laughs> people of their papas. Um and so we're just going to go through a couple of a couple of them. We're going to go through like a handful of them, uh, tell you guys about them, and then you guys can check out the full songs on our YouTube playlist, as is normal with our new format that we're trying. Yeah. So yeah, the first song we have up is um, "Papa Was a Rolling Stone" by The Temptations, which was released in 1972. Um, the song is kind of more of a psychedelic song towards when they started that whole reworking of their image in the late 60s, early 70s, when doo-wop was basically dead. And funk was um, alive and well. Yes, so they kind of rebranded themselves, and this was like the quintessential song that proved that. Um, but the song was written by Motown songwriters Norman Whitfield and Barrett Strong. Barrett Strong, you might know we talked about him before. He wrote the song... Uh, money, the song. that's what I want. Yes, money, that's what I want. Well, these two wrote this song as a single uh, for the Morton Act, The Undisputed Truth, in 1971. And this was actually a slightly different version of Papa that was released solely as a single in the following year, 72. However, it didn't really do anything. It didn't go on a charts or anything. It kind of just got forgotten. So in 72, Whitfeld, who, did, who also produced the song, took it and remade it as a 12-minute long so, uh, record for, with The Temptations, which for them ended up becoming a number one hit in the Billboard Hot 100, and it won three Grammy Awards. Yeah, it's so, one of their best known songs. Yeah, I think this is one of those examples of songs where the original recorder, like, it fell flat, but then it gets recovered by someone else and becomes crazy famous. Yeah. Because um, a lot of them do that. But yeah, I think we even had an episode just on that as a subject. Yeah, we did. So, but yeah, The Temptations, uh, as you said, Peter, is easily one of the most famous songs, and it's been a really enduring classic. And it's about fathers who leave their children and are deadbeats. So, <laughs> well, that's actually something I wanted to bring up with this song, was that 
because um, in the Mother's episode, we said that generally, pretty much all of the songs uh, spoke about the mothers in a positive light. Whereas mm. I think in the on the father end of things that there are some are chances of there being kind of a negative uh, view of their father. It might just be a yeah. cultural thing. Um, but I would say this is definitely one of the ones that, I mean, they're saying, yeah, it's sad that he's dead, but also he was kind of, I mean, he had children with several women and he kind of just did his own thing. And was kind of a vag- vagabond. Or yeah. That. So it's yeah. kind of interesting. It's a good song. Yeah, definitely. Um, so yeah, we'll have that on our little YouTube playlist so you guys can take a listen to that. Mm-hmm. Um, what do we got up next then, Mr. Peter? Oh, I was going to say something about oh, Pop yes. Rolling Stone, if you don't mind. Yeah. Um, like Peter said, it's absolutely true. Whenever musicians talk about their mothers, uh, it's always in an enduring light. And the papas or fathers are usually in a negative light. As we can tell from many of the biopics that we've seen, even with Johnny Cash and and uh, and and a lot of the others is you know you you need a you need a terrible horrific uh, death of a sibling and a terrible overbearing father to actually become a success. So so basically, Marvin Gaye. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So essentially, yeah. So so musicians out there. Yeah, you I, know. Think, I think that's I think, I think that's right. I think <laughs> that's a recurring theme is like you need to have a suppressive repressive father to like the Jacksons, success, like Marvin Gaye, or exactly. the Jacksons. Exactly. The list goes on and on. Yeah. yeah. That is kind of a. It's kind of sad. There. And, and the other thing I want to say is the original twelve-minute recording was that on an album or was that released as a single? I, I think that was released as a single, but it was a single on a full-sized album. So, you know, during the radio airplay, they're not going to play a twelve-minute song oh, no, no, on the no, radio. They, 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 yeah, there's there no obviously version. was a radio version yeah, that was much yeah. much smaller. Yeah. Uh, it's similar to pretty much every James Brown ever written. Every every original James Brown song is about ten minutes long. But they have radio-friendly versions that are like you know four to five minutes. That's true. I see. Speaking of, well, actually, no, it's not a good segue. Uh, <laughs> what do we? It's uh, good enough. Well, well I mean, we have, yeah, we we do have a song by James Brown in our list here, called uh, "Papa Don't yeah, Take No we'll, Mess." We'll, okay. What do you? Did you want to talk about that? If you want to skip around. Well, you we're already talking about James Brown, so we might as well just. Okay, <laughs> I'll, I'll just I'll just keep going. We have um, actually a song by him called "Papa Don't Take No Mess." I was gonna do "Pop's Got a Brand New Badge," but this one actually I think more has more to do with actual papas than just some guy getting a badge. Um, this this song was written in 1974 and released, and the edited version of the song actually was um, his final. I guess of all of his hits, it was his final number one R&B hit. Mm. And before he kind of like slid into unpopularity. And, um, Unpopularity. And the song peaked at number 31 on the Hot 100. The full-length version, nearly 14 minutes long, was, <laughs> I told you, <laughs> appeared on the double album Hell. Cool. And I guess apparently, similar to the song The Payback, uh, Papa Don't Take No Mess was originally recorded for a re- uh, rejected soundtrack for the black exploitation film Hell Up in Harlem. Interesting, because I know he did he did another black exploitation film, um, Black Caesar. Right. He did the soundtrack for that. I think this was another soundtrack that he was going to do, but then ended up not. Well, so, I know. Um, I'm he, trying to think who did those. Uh, I think. Who did the final? One I for think Hell Edwin Starr did the soundtrack for oh, that really? movie. So did no. did James well, Brown? do some songs for it James and they rejected Brown ma- it? 
James Brown might have been like their original choice, so he wrote some songs for it. Hmm. But um, hold on, I'm waiting. Um, so maybe they rejected him and ended up going with someone else. Oh, oh, that makes sense. Hell Up in Harlem is the sequel to Black Caesar. Okay. So James Brown did the did the soundtrack for Black Caesar. Probably wanted to come back to do the soundtrack for this. There is literally no info on this. And we all, we all know about um, how it got switched. Yeah, even up in, even on Wikipedia, there was literally nothing about this movie. Mm, okay. Uh, it starred Fred Williamson and Gloria Hendry, neither of whom I know. That's pretty cool. Uh, editing, yeah, so pretty much the most obscure movie in existence. So yeah, um, I guess that's a funky story we'll have to figure out for another time. We just know that James Brown didn't do the soundtrack for the sequel, and some of those songs turned into hits of his own. I guess I'm just I guess I'm just kind of curious how they took him off that because I mean not only is uh, he maybe they... pretty famous, but also uh, you know he did he did do the soundtrack for the first movie, so why would why would they take him off? Probably budget. Or maybe, maybe. It, says, maybe. it says it was a rejected soundtrack, so maybe it was just, maybe that particular song was rejected, and they ended up going with something more instrumental. I don't... To, I don't to match the high quality of the film? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody turns down to Brown. Godfather's back. Yeah. So, yeah, it, that's a funky mystery that may never be solved. Or at least not on Wikipedia. Unless we do more research. <laughs> yeah, unless we go to somewhere <laughs> other than just Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah yes so yeah papa don't take no mess i i the, i first heard this song on that xm soul station oh. and i just thought it was hilarious because it talks about like there was a there's a there's a line of the song where it's like papa don't make no fuss but when we but when we get out of line he beats the hell out of us oh, <laughs> <That's terrible. laughs> so yeah. i guess so do you remember whether this generally put papa in a Good or bad? Uh, I think it was more of a res- it was a respectful like you know he wasn't an angry like man but he was stern mm-hmm. and kind of like you know he was the regimental controlling figure but not in like a mean spirited way more of just a like a respectable respectable yeah figure. like yeah like he expects to be respected kind of way or else he beats the crap out of you so he doesn't take any mess from the kids yeah, is that what it is pretty much yeah exactly. <laughs> Kids are pretty terrible. They are. Um, so yeah, there's that song uh, by James Brown. I mean, we couldn't do we couldn't do a Papa thing without James Brown because he's got like three songs with the word Papa in it. Because he's the Papa of funk. Yes. <laughs> Godfather. That's true. Uh, so yeah, there's that. Um, so w- what do we have up next, Mister Peter, that you can jump in on? Um, I'm going to jump over to another song on our list called Color Him Father by the Winstons. Um, this is going going back a few years here, maybe about five years, uh, 1969. Um, Color Him Father is a sentimental song in which a boy expresses his love for his stepfather, not his actual father, um, who is a hardworking and generous man who married his widowed mother who had seven children and embraced them as his own after her first husband was killed in the war. Um, and there's two lines in the... It, a couple lines in the song it says quote she said she thought that she could never love again and then there he stood with that big wide grin so it, it, this one this one's actually kind of in a positive like especially yeah like this i want to know i want to note also that it's like a stepfather thing because i think a lot of time just by nature there's a lot of resentment 
toward a stepfather or something, you know, in general. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, in yeah. this one, it's interesting that it's actually really positive because after their their father died in the war, um, you know, their mom had to, you know, raise these seven children by herself. But then, you know, this guy came in and was able to to be the husband and father that um, she didn't have anymore. So I think he real the the singer sees him as a really respectable person in that sense. Um, which is kind of an interesting thing. You don't really hear about it in that regard, really, ever. Interesting. Yeah, um, true. But regarding the, quote, killed in the war part of this song, um, this resonated strongly with a lot of the public in 1969 because this was the height of the Vietnam War. So, obviously, this, I mean, this situation was likely happening for a lot of people. So, yeah. I guess whether or not any particular listener who was going through this saw that stepfather as a positive or negative thing. I think this song definitely said something to them in that sense. And uh, one more note is that the word, because the song is called color him father and just a note that the word color in this sense means uh, label or call him father. So don't, yeah, literally, don't literally color. People him don't really use... <laughs> that's, a, that's a term people don't use too often anymore. Yeah. Was this a uh, an actual story from the songwriter? Was is it a true story or is it? A um, story? I wasn't able to figure that out actually. I would. I'm going to guess that either it was something that they that writer had experienced or knew someone or was close to someone who was ex- experiencing that. Um, to, to make something that resonates with people on that level, I think they have to at least have some personal experience tied to that. I mean, they very well could not have, but I'm just guessing. Yeah, sort of like the song Patches. Yeah. yeah. Hey, segue. Segue. Speaking of Patches. <laughs> Ironic. We also have the song Patches by Clarence Carter, which was released in 1970. Um, it's funny because this uh, is one of his biggest and his first hits, and it was actually first recorded by the chairman of the board, not him. Um, and, but, however, their version, similar to what happened with Undisputed Truth and... Uh, and Papa was Rolling Stone kind of fell flat, and this version that he did ended up becoming much more famous. Um, the song, I guess, it was a huge hit. It was number two in the UK, number four in the US. Sold over a million copies, got a gold disc. Um, and just two months after its release, won the Grammy Award for Best R&B Song in 1971. So that shows how crazy popular it got in just that time span to have won mm-hmm. that award so quickly. It's funny because... Um, in researching a little bit about the song um, and how, like, because Clarence Carter sang the song with, like, so much passion, mm-hmm. so many people assumed this was, like, basically, like, what happened to him as a kid. Oh, yeah. And because not only what did that not happen to him as a kid, it wasn't even originally recorded by him. Um, <laughs> yeah. He said that sometimes he would feel like a fraud after he would receive letters from fans praising his dedication to his family <laughs> and citing them as an inspiration. Uh, Carter's quoted as saying, quote, I heard it on the chairman of the board LP and liked it, but I had my own ideas about how it should be sung. Uh, it was my idea to make the song sound real natural. I guess I tried a little too hard for some people. <laughs> um, so really, he was kind of the stepfather of this song. Yes, pretty much. But I, um, yeah, there's, in going into it, it was actually kind of interesting. Yeah, the, um, the song was originally written by the founder of Muscle Shoals Studios in Alabama, Rick Hall. 
Uh, essentially, it was about his own father and how his father related to him. That's how the story came about. Um, Rick grew up a son of a poor um, sharecropper, and his father basically worked himself to death um, and uh, you know, died when Rick was relatively young. So uh, Rick wanted to write about his father, so he wrote about this song, excuse me, wrote this song, and um, he talked to Clarence Carter about it. And originally, Clarence Carter didn't want to do the song because it was really out of his genre. Um, it was more of a speaking song. It, it was a song, you know, as, as presumed that it was from the, the heart and, 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 and life of the, of the singer. Um, but really, it was, uh, it was Rick Hall's uh, tribute to his father. Uh, so it, it turned into be a huge hit. And, and Clarence Carter, you know, his career was molded by Rick. And um, when, he, when he had some reservations about the song, um, you know, Rick said, just, 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 you know, believe in me, it'll be a hit. And mm. uh, as Clarence Carter always did, he put his career in Rick's hands and it turned out to be a huge hit in 71. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, Carter's Carter's early career was pretty much made at uh, Muscle Shoals because he recorded that there. He recorded Slip Away. Um, it's a good song, and it's just funny because yeah, it was it was co-written by uh, that Rick uh, Rick Hall and uh, someone else, Colonel Johnson, I believe the guy's name was, or Some, something like that. Uh, General co-written General Johnson. Co I'm sorry, by Rick Hall and General Johnson, which is an amazing name. He <laughs> <laughs> was self-proclaimed general, but anyway, um, the general of music. Yeah, basically, they originally tried it with. Chairman of the board didn't do well. He, then uh, Clarence Carter had already uh, came in. Recall really liked his sound. Tried to give the song to him, and Clarence Carter took it in a totally different direction. Obviously, became very popular. Yeah. I think uh, he sang it at the Grammy Awards in 1971, if I can oh, remember really? correctly. That's, yes, that's awesome. Too bad we don't have footage of that. <laughs> um, we would, but he's blind, so God. <laughs> we don't have footage. <laughs> Um, I was going to say something about this song. Oh, because something the stuff you were saying at the beginning about how people thought it was about him and his family. Yeah, yeah. Um, so maybe I could be wrong about the uh, the Winston song that we were just talking about. Because mm -hmm. I mean, I think it might just be how much passion you put into it that makes it, it believable. That could be. I mean, so I could be wrong. I mean, that that could be just something they they made up. Um, and obviously, in, in Carter's case, it wasn't it wasn't true for him, but it was true for someone. I right. guess the original uh, writers. So I don't know. I guess we'll never know. Good, yeah. It just shows if you're a good singer, you can make people believe what you want them to believe. I guess. But a lot of people just always kind of naturally assume co songs are written by the singers, which a lot of times, especially in Motown, they're definitely not. Right. Yeah. Especially in soul music. And like uh, a boy named Sue by. Uh... Johnny Cash. I'm yeah. sure that was a, a real life event, but yeah, <laughs> that was about his father as well. Yeah, except he wasn't named Sue. No. Um. Yeah. Well, I I do have okay, so we do have a couple of songs um, that are based on real stuff. Um, just going in that direction. Um, one of which is the Rubber Band Man by the Spinners which came from the 1976 album Happiness is Being with the Spinners. Um, so this was written by producer Tom Bell and singer-songwriter Linda Creed. Um, if you don't know, those two worked together as a pair on several of Philadelphia International Records, um, their soul hits, um, primarily for the stylistics and the Spinners. Um, they had a lot of good songs uh, come from those two. Yeah, Tom Bell, he ended up becoming a famous kind of sing uh, he was, solo performer himself, right? Well, he was a producer mostly. 
Um, oh, okay. I I don't know. Did he? He might have sung some stuff later on. I don't remember. No, I'm I'm I did a bit of research while you were gone. Um, he mostly just produced. He mostly just produced a group. But he did write a lot of very famous songs, especially about stylistics like "Betcha by Golly Wow." Um, he wrote a lot of stuff for the Delphonics as well, and like you said, the Spinners. Right. So Good he stuff. was pretty much instrumental in a lot of those, a lot of their success. Cool. Uh, so in this case, uh, regarding songs that were based on actual events, um, this one is kind of it's in the other way, in the, it's in the other direction because we've been mostly talking about songs or uh, the singers talking about their father, but in this case, Tom Bell co-wrote this song about his son more or less. And the story here is that he wrote it for his son because his son was being teased by his classmates for being overweight. So he kind of wrote this song to intend to improve his son's self-image. And uh, originally he called it The Fat Man, but I guess throughout as the song evolved and how and eventually became The Rubber Band Man. And um, if you're familiar with the lyrics of this song, it's basically about a guy who can who sings and dances and performs and is really awesome. So, and it's a very upbeat, um, happy song. So I I can see how if you make the song you know for someone they're gonna be pretty happy because it puts them in a positive light. So this is kind of an example of a father doing something nice for his son. Yeah, I'm wondering if like he's a rubber band man because he can like bounce back from any situation. You mean or because he's, he's overweight so he can bounce off of things? <laughs> Son of Flubber. <laughs> Son of Flubber. <laughs> um, yeah, that could be it too. Uh, but yeah, no, Rubber Band's man, it's probably my favorite song by the Spinners. Yeah. Um, and they have a lot of good songs. So yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of songs actually about like either from the mother's perspective or father's perspective writing about their children. Mm-hmm. Um, which is nice to see. Yeah, and and Did you just, wanna... just to clarify, really quick, this song has no references in the song to like his son or a father figure yeah, or anything. Really. It's, it's more of just a general. That was kind of more of the inspiration than the actual subject of the song itself. Yeah, true. And um, fathers write about their daughters as well. Yeah, yeah, they do. That's true. They do. Should I talk about this? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. Okay. Uh, yes, that's true, actually. Um, we do have another song here, Isn't She Lovely by Stevie Wonder, that came out in the same year as that previous song uh, in 1976 from his album Songs in the Key of Life. Um, this celebrates the birth of his daughter, Aisha. And the, record, the, the interesting thing about this song is that it actually not only is directly singing about her, but it also includes recordings of Stevie Wonder playing with her or you know, giving her a bath and things like that. Uh, so, for example, the song opens with audio of a baby crying and being born, and then throughout the song you have bits and pieces, and eventually in the la- like in the in the extended version of the song, um, the last I think few minutes, kind of just have music in the background with recordings of um, giving her a bath and having moments with her and stuff like that. So, uh, this daughter of his actually came from him and Yolanda Simmons. Um, who he actually mentions near the end of the song, he says, quote, um, Londi, it could not have been done without you who conceived the one. So he actually kind of does a shout out to the mother. I guess that's appropriate because couldn't have been there without the mom. 
Yeah. Stevie um, Wonder is immaculate, immaculately concepted. <laughs> Although I want to I point out, doesn't he have like 14 different kids or something? With, with like, like five different, five different, different yeah, pretty much. Women. He's That's got a whole bunch of kids. It's like he, he was originally going to be in Cheaper by the Dozen, but he was blind, so they couldn't work with him very well on set. <laughs> oh, you know what? That's actually. I don't think I can go. I don't well, think I can go five seconds without making a blind joke about Steve well, Wonder. Speaking of blind jokes, actually, I was watching a, uh, a sh- I was watching a YouTube clip of these two. Of okay, well, before I say that, I just want to say that um, in 2005, Aisha sung a duet with Steve Wonder on his song "How Will I Know." So now that she's an adult, because um, I mean, she was just a baby in 1976 when Isn't She Lovely came out. But now, obviously, she's an adult, and they perform together, actually. Or they have several times. That's cute. Which is really cool. Um, so, if you look up on YouTube, there, there's, you know, them singing that song, How Will I Know? But also, I think they also sing, like, live, uh, Isn't She Lovely, as well. Oh, that's um, But there was Did a clip. Did she cry at the beginning of it? <laughs> like a little baby. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Change it to, Aren't I Lovely Now? Aren't I lovely? <laughs> um, but, Aren't I lovely? <laughs> I was um, watching a clip because someone was recording it at a live performance. And uh, the two of them were sitting there on the stage. And then she starts recalling um, something about her. I guess when she was a, a little kid, one of her f- first words or one of her first phrases was, what was it? Sugar pie honey bunch or something. That was one of her <laughs> first phrases. Um, but I guess she said it wrong, so she would just run around, around that. She would run around the house, basically just saying shit instead of like sugar. <laughs> and shit he, pie. Well, and then he was saying, "Well, this was frustrating because he would have like Motown executives come over to the house sometimes, and he had to kind of keep her from running around saying this in the house." <laughs> <laughs> and um, where was it? Oh, and then because <laughs> it was funny because she said she would run around. He he, because he obviously he's blind, so she's she's running around laughing, and he can't tell where she is, because he's blind. Uh-huh. He'd be like, "Where are you?" And she'd be like, "I'm over here, Daddy." And then she run over somewhere else, and then like she was. <laughs> oh, that's mean. Him. That's mean. <laughs> so that was a story they were recalling. So <laughs> I don't know. Kids can be dicks. <laughs> she gets him to like fall down the stairs or something. <laughs> so I guess even his daughter like makes blind jokes or whatever. Yeah. Stand at the end of the hallway saying, "Come play with me." <laughs> anyway, but uh, well, that's interesting. I guess you could say that Stevie Wonder was the keeper of his castle. <laughs> that was so bad. <laughs> um, yeah. For you listeners, that cancel. was an attempt at a uh, a, segue. a segue, but it didn't work. Did you say bouncy cancel? Yes, we should seriously just do like a bloopers reel of all of our terrible segues. <laughs> um, the show is yeah, the blooper the keeper. reel. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, really. Um, so yeah, our final song of the evening is um, "Keeper of the Castle" by the Four Tops. I this is another song I heard on XM Radio that I was like, oh, I should put this in this episode. Oh, pause for a second. Okay. Sorry. Um, remember you were talking about how you heard "Papa Don't Take No Mess." On the XM thing, yep. did yep. they play the 14-minute version? Because no, it was XM. No, no, no. Okay. Yeah. I didn't know if no, they, they did played that. the shortened version. Got it. I don't think even on XM that can hold your attention for that long if they're playing a 14-minute song. 
Um, but yeah, Keep It the Council by the Four Tops. It's a great song by them, but it's definitely not one of their more popular hits. Uh, but it was notable, at least, as the first hit that they recorded uh, once they were on the ABC Dunhill label after leaving Motown in 1972, because, as we know, Motown moved to L.A. That's and a true. a lot of bands were like, screw that, we're not going there. Um, and the song, I probably totally misinterpreted this because I'm dumb, was uh, more of a social commentary on men's roles and relationships, more so than men's roles as fathers, but whatever, men can, men can be fathers and have relationships. So it works. Uh, it was co-written by Dennis Lambert, who uh, produced the song, as well as other songs off their album of the same name, Keeper of the Castle. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's pretty much about it for that song. Not one of their... Do you want to pull up any of the lyrics or anything? Yeah, see, that's this is why I thought it was about fathers. There's a chorus that says, You're the keeper of the castle, so be a father to your children, the provider of all their daily needs. Like a sovereign lord protector, be their destiny's director, and they'll do well to follow where you lead. So, hmm. I wasn't wrong, or that wrong. Um, <laughs> yeah, I wasn't wrong. So, <laughs> Father should, Storms? Just be... Yes. Oh, that's you. What's that? Do you see yourself as the... Ah, oh, crap. What was it? What it was? The, Keeper uh, of the Castle? No, the... Lord of Sarv- the, the, the Sarvan Lord? The Director of Destiny. Oh, absolutely not. <laughs> absolutely not. No, I think that's more the mom in this situation. She's kind of bossy. It's just like, a, just like a big box of little baby chickens. You just throw them out and, you know, they go where they go. Am I, am I a baby chicken? Yes. Aww. You're the favorite baby chicken now. Aww. I'm fluffy. So, um, actually, I have a question. Yes. For Papa Storm. So, obviously, you knew at least a couple of these songs probably before you were a father. <laughs> I was a father in 1971, ironically enough. But no, I'm just joking. Wait a second. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> yes, I did. Well, but I'm, I'm <laughs> just, Wait a minute. You never told me. What I'm getting at is, like, has your view of these any of these songs changed after kind of experiencing some of that yourself? Well, you know, yeah, I guess, well, you know, like I said, I said earlier, though, I mean, the, the songs doesn't paint fathers in a very good light. I mean, you know, well, some of them do. Papa was a Rolling Stone. Well, some do, but, but ones I remember is Papa was a Rolling Stone because I listened to a lot of Motown uh, during that time. So right. and that song was very popular and, and you know, was in high rotation. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I mean, I perceived them as even before I was a father, I always perceived them as, oh, you know, well, that's not my dad. Right. Um, and, you know, I'll never be like that. Um, so I don't, I don't think I yeah really I think a, I think a lot of the poor father ones are like cautionary tale type songs right right so there was it, it, you know the conclusion was when I was listening to the song that even at the age of ten years old I I knew you know that that, that wasn't my dad or that it certainly wasn't going to be me or anything like that but right. uh, but it, I, I like the misery in the songs though yeah. yeah for some reason I like that <laughs> especially in uh, misery loves company patches. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, all these songs are sad. I mean, yeah. a boy named Sue was was you know that we mentioned before that that song was was very prominent around the same time frame mm-hmm. uh, as Papa Don't uh, Problems with Rolling Stone, and that was one of my my favorite songs. I, I absolutely love that song, right. especially when his father and him get in the fight at the I, end. I just, that, that's I, the best part. I just you like know? the part where he's like, "My name is Sue. How do you do? <laughs> you're gonna die." <laughs> <laughs> the violence that's what attracted me. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, oh, funny stuff. If only we did country music, we could uh, have put that in here. Well, we usually just kind of put in <laughs> other stuff that we mentioned throughout Touché, as well, so yeah. we can just throw that into the, I su- the I, could, I suppose we can throw that in. Um, 
So I guess overall, it is kind of too bad that, yeah, fathers really are kind of maligned. Yeah, they don't really get the same positive uh, attention that mothers do. It, it always seems it, it always seems like in the traditional stereotype of a family that it's the good cop, bad cop with the mother and father. Yeah. Father true. is the strict disciplinary unfair one. Mother is the one that, like, feeds you apple pie and <laughs> bakes you cookies and sweaters with love in every stitch. That's true. But the, 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 the two... Yeah, the two examples of those are is Patches and Puffles Rolling Stone. I mean, essentially, one is, you know, talking about, it, you know, how much he loved his father and how endearing his yeah. father was and everything. And the other one, it was like, oh, yeah, shows, my dad's a criminal. Yeah, it shows the duality, I guess, of, yeah. of the situation. Yeah, yeah. Those, those are good examples. Yeah, and Papa Don't Take No Mess is kind of in between, too. Like, in that one, he was really strict and would beat his kids if they were out of line, but it seemed like James Brown was, ended up respecting him for that in the way... Well, you know, back then it was it was kind of expected that father beat the crap out of you for right. you know doing anything wrong. And, you know, he loves me, so norm, he beat yeah. me to death. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like Bill Cosby. Yeah, he like, beat his kids all the time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what was that one? What was that one bit about the belt? Oh yeah, the the uh, uh, my brother Russell, whom I slept with. Yeah, that, that skit. Yeah, with where his, his dad came and beat him with like. A that, yeah, right. That that was all about his father. It was it was twelve feet long and eight feet wide. And <laughs> it hooks on it. Yeah, <laughs> it ripped the flesh from your bones. Oh, but yeah, yeah I mean, love. actually, on that note, Cosby. I mean, he has a ton of uh, stand up from the perspective Children. of his father of being a father as well. Um, exactly. Yeah, true, so true. Uh, this is kind of funny. Yeah. I just remember I don't remember which Cosby show it was or if it was the original or the new one I remember there was a line where the little, the little kid was like but daddy we're rich and he's like whoa 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 we're, we're not you're, you're not rich you have nothing your mother and I are rich <laughs> that's funny <laughs> but um just fun stuff like that and then and then Bill Cosby became like the arbitrator of family values well, with his sweater vests, and not so much. Well, yeah, family values, but then more of those cultural values as well. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Um, so really, this whole episode was about Bill Cosby all along. <laughs> <laughs> I'm and surprised you couldn't find any uh, songs of, uh, of Bill's. Everything took place inside the head of Bill Cosby while he was in a coma. Because I know he did a cover of Papa's <laughs> Rolling Stone. It, he, he could it. not have. Not he did, that. didn't he? Didn't he do that on his no. goofy parody album? I wish he did. Oh. That would have been funny. That would have been hilarious. I don't think he did any songs oh, about fathers, unfortunately. Fatherhood. Sadly, no. But what about Rudy? Um, was Rudy about... Well, he mentions really. his mom in that song, but his mom beats him. Because he stole the oh. wine. Because he stole the wine. <laughs> or something. But yeah, I think, I think this episode should either be called Father Part 2 Electric Boogaloo or Coma Cosby. <laughs> Sounds good. Because everything ended up taking place in the head of, uh, in the head of the cons. <laughs> do you think? Do you think like if you were to like cut into his brain, he would just find like jello pudding pops in his brain? <laughs> yeah, um, probably. His brain is made of chocolate. Now that he's gotten older, maybe. But... Yeah, true. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I think that about wraps up our Co- our Cosby Father episode. Yes, and if you sadly, love Bill Cosby, my dad's not wearing a Cosby sweater. What? If you love Bill Cosby, then you'll love this episode. <laughs> <laughs> then you'll yeah, love. Yeah, why don't you wear like traditional Cosby sweater father figure uniforms? That was something from the eighties. Yeah, no, you need to. Well, the new stereotyped <laughs> father outfit is like cargo shorts with like a tucked-in polo. <laughs> mm. 
which luckily my dad's not wearing. <laughs> and uh, speaking of Bill Cosby, because we can't stop, um, <laughs> the 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 black friends that I had when I was growing up, their fathers never looked like Bill Cosby. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty sure nobody did. Yeah, exactly. Wasn't no the joke one with that like show that. is that like nobody's family was really like that? Exactly. I mean, yeah, it was like, the the perfect studio family. Yeah, but I um, liked Theo. He was and I met him one time. You met Theo, or you met Bill Cosby? Yeah. No, What's, I met Theo. Oh my yeah, god! The guy story that plays time. It. Story time. You have to tell us. Well, it's not a favorable story. Oh, what do you, what do you do? Did you guys get in a fight? Um, no, <laughs> I uh, I was working uh, at a at a video store as a manager in uh, Chicago. Suburb, south side suburb of Chicago one day, and he strolled into the store with a friend, hmm. and out of the blue, and this was at the height of the Cosby show, I don't know how old he was, maybe 18, something like that, and I recognized him first, and so, you know, some of us from the store went up to talk to him, and he didn't, want to, he didn't even want to talk to us, he didn't hmm. want anything to do with us, um... He was only there for one purpose, and that was to have, you know, obviously young girls, you know, recognize him and all that stuff. So I don't know why he walked into a video store. Um, but anyway, yeah, he was kind of a, can I say the word dick? Sure. He was a dick. <laughs> he was a, he was a, he was nowhere, he wasn't Theo. He was Theo the dick version. <laughs> so, felt like the Justin Bieber of the era, you know, you know mm. what I mean? Interesting. So, but yeah, that, that's my, that's my Casby story. So he didn't say anything to yeah. you? What's that? He didn't say anything to you? Not really. Did no. He, didn't he read anything? No, or did not, he just walk never. in? And walk no, out? no, no. He just walked in. I don't I don't know why he walked in. It was it was weird. It was um but uh, one of one of my coworkers said, Hey, you're Theo, don't I know you? And he's like, You don't know me. <laughs> and then it started like this whole like, you know, don't talk to me, you know. Wow. It's like, okay, whatever. Wow. So then we started started insulting him as he was with as he as he was leaving. So <laughs> Wow, okay. Well, that's kind of sad. <laughs> go with, go find a Cosby sweater. Well, you know, I don't know if you've ever met a lot of celebrities or whatever, but, you know, they're usually, they're, they're one of two things. They're always either a total asshole or they're, like, totally nice. Yeah. There's really no ever in between from that's the few you, that I have That's met. why you don't meet, that's why you don't, you should never meet your idols. True. But what if they're really nice idols? Right, you, yeah, you never know. You're, you're going to get one of those two. Yeah, there's not like a, just an average Joe. It's either like they're overly nice because of their fame, or they're overly douchey. Well, I think generally, like with some people, you kind of know whether they're gonna be a jerk or not. Because people like Bill Murray, I mean, the, he just shows up at random people's parties and hangs out with them. I think yeah. he's really cool, but <laughs> I'm sure there's plenty of other people who aren't, you know, on that level. True, true. No one is on Bill Murray's level. What are you talking about? He's Bill F. That's <laughs> true. He is Bill the freaking Murray. Okay, so, yeah, that about wraps up for, I think, because Celebrity Corner time. So as I was going to say about five minutes ago, if you love Bill Cosby, <laughs> you should like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash getyourfunk, and also subscribe to us on iTunes. I may or may not be inaccurate about that, because due to technical complications, our show has not been available on there for a while. Um, but it is on YouTube. It is on YouTube, Do we have a YouTube, though, um, have a YouTube channel? Well, we're on um, the YouTube channel for our host, HCN. And oh, okay. um, so after listening to this, I think it, if you're listening to this on YouTube, it'll just jump straight into the, the songs that we mentioned in this episode. So you can listen to the full versions of those songs as well. Or if you want to just hit the refresh button, you can listen to this all again. If 
If you have nothing better to do with your life. Well, if you're listening to us once, you probably don't have a life anyway. <laughs> Pretty much. Um, so, yeah. And it looks like uh, we're still not on, back on iTunes uh, yet. iTunes. Steve Jobs is ruining us from the grave. Uh, I guess so. Um, so, yeah. That was a, our um, second installment of the parents episode. Next episode, we'll be doing grandparents. <laughs> no, not really. I hope not at least <laughs> i don't think we could well in the, in the others one we did have one about grandma's hands by the old withers i want i want to live with underground grandma grandma's hands there you go i don't think That's i don't fun. think there's any grandpa songs yeah grandpa was an old tiny dude so yeah um as peter said super, subscribe to us like us facebook all that stuff uh this has been your host kyle and this has been your host, Peter, and thank you to Papa Storms for joining us today. Oh, thank you. It was fun. Bye. We love you. Thank you for not being Rolling Stone during this show. <laughs> you rolled away, you know? <laughs>